So my Gideon commercial is over uh, because, because uh, Jesus Christ is the hero of this story. It's not the Gideons. It's not the, it's not the churches. Although uh, we need the, well, we are the church. We need the church. I believe in the local church. I'm a pastor. Um, but Jesus Christ is the hero of this story. And without him, we're all dead in the water. And so I want to preach a message to you this morning, which is why your pastor does what he does, which is why this church is here, which is why the Gideons do what they do. The message this morning is, is entitled The Cause. And I want to talk to you about the cause of the gospel. And um, I have every intention this morning of preaching to the choir, just so you know. Because I'm around this country, I'm in different churches every week and, and in the northern United States, and I'm convinced that we have, as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, most of us have taken the cause and the message of the gospel and have attributed that to a prayer that we pray to get into relationship with God and then we left it back there in our past somewhere with our testimony. But the gospel, the power of the gospel, the power of what Jesus Christ did, we need it so desperately every day. We don't move past the gospel. We only move deeper into the gospel. We don't move past the message of the cross. We only move deeper into the message of the cross. That's where the power is. That's where the transformation is. That's why Jesus is the hero of this story. Amen? And so this is the message this morning. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your one-way directional love that came down and invaded our lives and the catastrophe of this world and the sin that had us all dead in the water. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what it means, not just the day we prayed a salvation prayer, but what it means in our life every day. Lord, may your word this morning speak to us. May it ruin us for our own will, and may we, God, be bent towards waking up every morning saying, thank you, Jesus, and may we put our heads on the pillow every night saying, thank you, God, for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to be here a while because there's 66 books, so buckle in. No, I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, First there was nothing, then there was everything. The most foundational, orthodox piece of theology that you and I need to understand, which is foundational to our faith, is why we are here. And we see right here that God created us because he wanted us. He is, in his essence, a giver. He didn't create us because he needed us to worship him. That's pretty narcissistic. It's a little needy. He didn't create us because he needed worshipers. He didn't create us because he needed us to do things for him. We exhaust young people from, from the, from right from the young right on up. Do great things for God. Do so. God wants to use you. Use you and do things and do things and use you and you. And we, uh, 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 and we spend our whole lives, okay, I got to do stuff for God. Am I doing enough for God? Am I not doing enough for God? Should I serve more in the church or not? I, I don't know. Should, how much, should I give out a hundred Bibles or a thousand Bibles or a million Bibles? How much is enough? 
Just stop. Go back right to the beginning. Why are we here? We are here because he loved us, because he wanted us. He didn't have children because he had things in the earth that needed doing. If you don't believe me, just think of yourself. How many of you had children because you had things around the house and you thought to yourself, you know, I got a good idea. We should have some kids, honey. Because that's a great way to get things done, isn't it? Having children? <laughs> are you kidding me? That is... That's not working in my house. I have three kids. I got a 14-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old son, and a 6-year-old boy. And I got news for you. Um, Their contribution uh, does not exceed their consumption. God did not have us because he needed us to do things for him. Will we do things for the Lord? Sure. But let's let's not get there yet. Will our lives bear fruit? And will we? Absolutely. But there's a big difference between doing things for approval and doing things from approval. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 is that we approach our whole life because God is a giver and he loved us and he gave us everything. He gave, gave, gave. This is the nature of the God that we serve. And then we follow along in the story and we find in Genesis chapter 3, you know the story that the devil comes and he tempts Eve. And the temptation that comes is significant. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 3. We'll read this together. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. By the way, he didn't say that. She added that, but moving on. Lest you die. Then the serpent says to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, this is the introduction to our problem. This is the introduction to your sin and my sin and the world's sin. This is the introduction. It is, it is the lie that you will not be fulfilled in God. That is incomplete. You must be your own God. This is Canada's problem. This is the mantra of secular humanism. When you read the Humanist Manifesto, they revised it in the year 2000, and it says, and I quote, there is no God, we must save ourselves, end quote. Genesis 3, this is not an introduction to atheism. This is not an introduction to agnosticism. This is, this is an introduction to idolatry, which is your problem and mine and the world's. God created us because he loved us, because he wanted us, and we broke everything. We broke the planet. Eve looked at it. Adam took it. They both took it. And they said, we will be our own God. I will not be fulfilled in you. Something will be missing. I will be my own savior. They took the fruit. They ate the fruit. The next thing they did was they sowed fig leaves. And that began the doctrine of works. The moment that he is not my God, I have to be my own God. Eve thought this would be freedom. But in fact, it was eternal bondage. The idea of being our own God seems like freedom. Why would you be stuck in the bondage of religion where you've got to do this and do that and da 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 Just be free. Be your own God. Idolatry is bondage because if God is not my God and Jesus Christ is not my Savior, I am in bondage to secure meaning, value, acceptance, and belonging for myself. And that is a sweatshop of religion, my friends. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Paul. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you. In the beginning, God. And if we don't approach our life with in the beginning, God, we approach it with in the beginning, me. 
And if it's in the beginning me, it's an exhausting, unfulfilling, burdensome, broken existence to wake up every day and make our life mean something. The beautiful thing is that Paul Dunk's name doesn't have to mean something because Jesus Christ's name is the name that matters, not my name. And the more that I fall in love with what Jesus did for me, the more you fall in love with what Jesus did for you, the power of the gospel takes root in our lives and we transform into the image of his son. Amen? So they sin. They break the planet. It's important for us to understand the heart of God here because at that point, he could have, God could have just looked down, saw their sin, and said, I can't believe this. I created you and gave you everything, and you sinned and you broke the planet. I'm going to start again in this solar system. But he didn't. Look at what he does. It's later in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are more cursed than all the cattle more, uh, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her, capital S, seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy of the Christ. This is God's response. I created you because I wanted you. You broke everything. I'm coming again. God moved first. That's why this is the greatest love story in the world. That's why the Gideons want millions of these to go out in the hands of those who've never read the love story. That's why this church is here. That's why your pastor does what he does. Because God moved first, and he's always moving first. We don't move past the gospel. We move deeper into the gospel. You don't get to say, yeah, okay, I get the cross. I get Jesus. Thank you, pastor. We don't have to talk about Jesus anymore. Give me something to do. That's what Adam and Eve did. We'll make this whole, we'll we'll, we'll sow fig leaves. We'll have to make this thing happen for ourselves. God moved first, and he always moves first. He moves at the beginning of the life of the believer and throughout the life of the believer. God's one-way Descending love invades the catastrophe of our lives and sets us free from sin. Praise God. This is the God that we serve. There are not heroes in the Bible for us to emulate. The Bible is not a story of rules. The Bible is not a guidebook, a blueprint of all of these principles that we just leave church with 10 more principles that we have to implement in our lives every day. That's not the intention or the intent of this book. This book is a love story. Genesis, he created us because he loved us. We broke it. He sent a savior. And the rest of the entire Bible, friend, that is in your lap is God playing out that love story. And the more that we fall in love and understand the depth of this love story, the more we become like him. The more we leave the cross in the past and say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. We'll take it from here. Thank you, Jesus, that your love got me in. Now my love for you will keep me in. Thank you for the work that you did on the cross. It'll be my works now that get me into heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you got this ball started. We'll we'll, we'll take it the rest of the way. And a perpetual life of focus, of of growth and progress, and addicted to to self-help and approach the Bible like self-help. Do you see this? this? This is why God intervenes right at the beginning in the book of Genesis. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm coming for you again. This is the good news of the gospel. And when Jesus comes and Jesus fulfills this, Jesus makes it quite clear, you and I don't stand a chance without him. See, there's good news and there's bad news. Bad news first. The bad news is, God is a holy, perfect God who demands perfection. 
He doesn't demand try harder, grow, personal growth, disciple, you know, do, I'm better than I was last year. That doesn't cut it. There's no version of this where you and I grow to a place where it's like, Ten years ago, I was real. I mean, I really needed the blood of Jesus then. But now, you know, not so much. There's no version of this where we measure up. That's the bad news. The bad news, folks, for you and me and the, those that haven't found Jesus yet, it, it's the same bad news. It's that God is a holy God that demands perfection, and we broke the planet. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is he demanded perfection, so he provided perfection. That's why Jesus is the hero of this story. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, guys, why are you trying to finish something in the flesh that only God started in the spirit? What are you doing? That's a paraphrase. He actually said, who bewitched you? Because every religion in the world, and trust me, I've been in encounter with so many of them, is a religious sweatshop of works. It is, it, it, is a, it is a symbol. It is a symbol of constant trying to get approval. If you do these things, you will be approved. The message of the gospel is we did nothing, and God came to us and provided that approval. People get nervous when you preach the gospel of grace in this way because then they say, well, hold on there, Paul. I hear what you're saying. You're pretty passionate. I understand you're spitting. I understand the first two rows are empty for a reason because it's, like, you know, it's like marine land. <laughs> okay, I understand. But brother, you got to preach balance here. You got to preach balance. You can't just keep talking about the work of the cross and what Jesus did. I mean, you got to give us something to do. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's, okay. let's do that then. Let, let's preach with balance because I can tell some people are nervous. They thought this guy from Ontario came here. He's screaming and shouting and he's a Jesus freak. And, and, and his hermeneutics are, 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 are questionable. Which is a typical response for a Canadian to the gospel. We're suspicious of the gospel because, because the gospel is about grace. It's about what he did, not what I'm doing. We're, specific, we're suspicious of that. We're like, no, 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 no. That, that, that doesn't make sense. It can't be enough that Christ, what Christ did. No, you have to give me something to do. I'm Canadian. I like checklists. I, I need stuff to do. So for those of you that want a checklist, we'll find a checklist, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And Matthew 5, I'm sorry. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus starts preaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. And we start making checklists. Okay, be be meek. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers. I'll be a peacemaker. Okay, we start writing our list. Okay, these are the principles that we got to do. Please understand something. Jesus is not preaching this saying, okay, guys, here's the things to do. And, you know, you're in. The whole reason Jesus is preaching this is he's preaching it to show there is no way you're going to pull this checklist off. Because it's not acceptable to a holy and perfect God for me to be poor in spirit sometimes, or to be meek sometimes, or to be a peacemaker sometimes. And then he continues to go on and he talks about how murder begins in the heart. It doesn't matter if you've killed somebody. If you thought about it, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if you slept with somebody else's wife. If you looked at another woman or another man and said, yes, please, in your mind, it's the same thing. Jesus preaches in such a way, we just, there's no version of this where we can pull it off. Jesus goes, let me show you the checklist. And the whole reason he's preaching this is to say, I came to fulfill this law. I came to fulfill what you are never, ever, ever going to fulfill. I came to fulfill it. 
But our Canadian brains are like, okay, well, you, you can't just keep talking about the, for the forgiveness and the justification in Christ. You've got to give me something to do. So let's just go to the end of, of the checklist that Jesus gives us, just in case we weren't sure. Because then he goes through marriage. And he's like, look, if there's not sexual immorality, it's, bam, Jesus nails us. And every church I'm in all across Canada, whew, that's a fun one. But the point of this is not to have a theological debate about where does the church stand on divorce. It's not the point. That's not the point. The point of it is Jesus is saying there is no version of this where any human is going to ascend to a place where God says, good job. We need Jesus today as much as we did the day that we got saved. Because we're sinners saved by grace. But the moment there was, oh, no, 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 brother, I'm not a sinner anymore. I was a sinner, but now I'm... Did you, who here, has, who here has, has not sinned today? Could you raise your hand? Is there anybody who has not sinned today? I've sinned today. Many times. It doesn't take much for us to be alone with our thoughts and judge. And I remember when they did that and I'm better than them. I mean, it's impossible for us not to sin. Friend, the moment that we think, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anybody. It's a self-salvation project. It's self-help. It's Tony Robbins. It's not the gospel. It's a Christless Christianity. If you're here and you're saying, I don't like this guy from Ontario. I am offended. I can't believe he came into a church where he's never even met the pastor and he said that we're sinners. Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. That's why we need Jesus. He's the hero of this story. There's no version of this where we stop needing him. That's what the Galatians were doing. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the cross. That the deeper we go into it, the more we're looking at him, the more we become like him. It is love responding to love. As opposed to, man, I better get my act together so that I can, you know, the pastor thinks I'm okay and I think I'm okay. And and in this perpetual mode of, of growth. Here's the end of the checklist. Jesus goes, and by the way, in case you haven't got where I'm going with this, in case you haven't got the message that I am gonna fulfill the law of requirements on your behalf, this is how we end the checklist. So for those of you who are having difficulty with my hermeneutics, who are saying, I don't agree with this preacher from Ontario. I don't like this. There's still things that the believer's got to do, brother. You're right. Here it is. You ready to write it down? It's found in verse... It's, it's, it's found in verse... Um, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? I've got to show you the, the punchline. And Jesus gives us... It's, it's ridiculous. Here we go. It's in verse 48 of Matthew 5. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's the checklist. If you're looking for a checklist, if I'm looking for a checklist, if we're looking for a version of this where Jesus only mattered when we prayed the sinner's prayer, and, you know, from then on, we just kind of take it from here. Discipleship. Yes, discipleship. But discipleship's not a program. It's not a DVD series. It's not a... All those things help us, but all of discipleship is to point to one thing. All of discipleship is to point that the more that I focus in the face, the object of my worship, the more I will be like him. When discipleship becomes about me and my growth and how am I doing and I, 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 and more of I and more of me in my discipleship, when, friend, when we are on our deathbed, we are not going to lie there and say, I have peace in my heart because of all the things I did for the Lord. I have peace in my heart because my great post-salvation growth There's no version of this where we ever make the cut. That's the bad news. And the good news is that has been provided for us 
through Jesus Christ. It is the greatest love story of all time. There is only one hero in the Bible. There are not heroes to emulate and try and be like. And the whole Bible you find is like that. The me- this message of grace is throughout the entire Old Testament. Jesus Christ is in the entire Old Testament. Right after, if we were to, if we were to go back to the, the, the book of Genesis, and right after the fall of man, we get a story. The very first story, the very first story we have after the fall of man in chapter 4 is Cain murders Abel. And the way that we teach this story, the way I taught it, the way that I was taught it was you've got Cain and Abel. Abel had a good attitude. Cain had a bad attitude. Cain didn't bring his best. Abel brought his best. Cain killed Abel. Don't be like Cain. Be like Abel. That's how we teach it. The point of this is to see we are like Cain. Cain kills his brother because he's living in a perpetual jealousy and anger and I'm not measuring up and all of the things that you and I feel and think towards other people were Cain. The point of the story is not, be like Abel. Hey kids, here's your to-do list. Jesus got you in and now you're saved and you prayed the prayer, but now here's a perpetual lifelong trajectory of things to do. No, the point of the story is to cut us to our heart. Because after Cain kills his brother, the Lord shows up and says, because you did this, you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond your entire life. And Cain goes, wow, it's it's too much for me to bear. People will kill me. Then what does God do? Does God go, too bad. That's the consequence of your sin, Cain. No, read chapter four. Cain goes, ah, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. And God goes, yeah, you are a dead man, but let me show you my nature again. I'm going to move towards you again, even though you don't deserve it, again. And God says in chapter 4, he puts a mark on him. He says, nobody's going to kill you. He puts a mark on him. That is called grace. A lot of time we take the stories of the Bible and we teach our children, good people get good things, bad people get bad things, therefore be a good person, do good things, and you'll get good things from God. And we call that Christianity. That's actually karma. Christianity is bad people who don't have a hope, don't have a prayer, get what they don't deserve. It's the gospel. It doesn't make sense because it's not from this world. Amen? This is the beauty of the love story. So God marks Cain. And then what does Cain do? If you keep reading Genesis chapter 4, this guy killed his brother, kills his brother. God gives him grace, puts a mark on him, he finds a wife, he has a son, he builds a city. That just doesn't make sense. You don't reward somebody who kills their brother by putting a mark on them so that nobody kills them, for starters. And then you don't help them find a wife. And then, of course, in that culture, having a son was like a really big deal because now it's legacy and all this. So the guy kills his brother, gets the grace of God, grace, goes and finds a wife, has a son, builds a city. It's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Keep going through the whole Bible, the story of Noah. We teach the story of Noah. I taught the story of Noah. I've read the story of Noah like the whole world was bad. But there was one man. Really? Because if there was one guy who, who wasn't bad and who, who didn't, then, then he wouldn't need a savior. I mean, the whole Bible would break down right there at Noah. 
well, we don't need a, I mean, Genesis, just throw it out. Because obviously we don't need a Savior if we can be righteous on our own. Friends, when you and I wake up in the morning and realize that the bad attitude and the whatever, and da, 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 it's not, well, the Lord is dealing with me on some things. I just need a spiritual chiropractic adjustment. No. No. It's sin. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's awful. There's no rating system. There's not murder, homosexuality, and these things at the top, and the things that you and I do. Is, There's no version of that with the Lord. This is why we need Jesus. And we find in the, in the story of Noah, if we were to continue to go, I'm seriously not going to take you through the whole Bible, okay? But I'm just making a point here. I'm making a point that from cover to cover, this is the story. That Jesus is the hero of the story. Chapter 6 of Genesis, after the, the genealogy of Adam, you've got what Cain does, then you've got the genealogy of Adam in, in chapter 5, and then in verse 6, you've got, it comes to pass that men were multiplying on the face of the earth. We see in verse 5, it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, his, his thoughts were evil continually. That's everybody, Noah included. And the Lord was sorry that he made the man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord says in verse 7, I'm, 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 I'm destroying it all. Verse 8, watch this. But Noah found grace. This is the whole story. There's no version of this where we do, God goes, oh, the earth, oh, he, well, he's doing pretty good, actually, that guy. Yeah, I'm going to use him. No, no. Noah, the one-way descending love that we didn't deserve, the power of grace that we never earned, can't earn, never going to earn, comes towards you and me and our sin and our mess. And when we are willing before the Lord to acknowledge, I am a disaster without you, that is when the power of the gospel takes root. That is when I become conformed to the image of his son. That is when my marriage is able to transform my kids, fill in the blank. That is when, that is where the transformation takes place because that's where the power is. God's one-way directional love and grace. It says Noah found grace. Then as you continue to read the chapter, you find that it says, and Noah was perfect man and walked with the Lord and all that. He found the grace first. Our works don't bring God's grace. God's grace bears the fruit of good works. That's the order. That's theology. That's fundamental. That's the story. This is the greatest love letter that was ever written. And when we read it, it cuts us to the heart and it transforms us. That is the beauty of the gospel. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. He moved first. He always moves first. And he's continually moving first. That's why the church is here. That's why your pastors are here. That's why the Gideons do what they do. Because it is the power of the gospel that transforms us as we are drawn from the one directional love towards our Savior. Amen? I wrote a letter for my wife earlier this year. And it was a love letter because I went out for Valentine's Day to... to um, get her a card, and none of the cards sounded like me. They all sounded like, and as surely as the waters meet the sea, and the sun shall kiss the heaven, my love for you, or... <laughs> I was just like, oh, uh, no, this is not good. 
So I wrote a, I wrote, I just thought my wife is going to read that and she's going to be like, wow, did you take like seven whole seconds to pick this card? <laughs> it's incredible, Paul. Thank you. So I, I wrote her a love letter and when she read it and as I was writing it, I was thinking to myself, oh man, she is going to kiss and hug me. So I wrote this letter. She reads the letter. She does this. All the ladies understand what I'm about to do. All the ladies get exactly what I'm doing. She's re- she starts reading it. She gets a couple lines in and she goes, <gasps> Puts the letter down, starts hugging me. That was my plan the whole time. It absolutely was my plan the whole time. My plan the whole time was read the letter, get my heart, put the letter down, embrace the author. This is why the Gideons give out millions of these things. Read the love letter. Let the beauty of the gospel that I just preached destroy us because his love is so good put the love letter down and embrace the author. Amen? Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these wonderful and amazing people who are beautiful because you love them. Lord, there's no version of this where we clean ourselves up. And I thank you. Your word says there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And I thank you that everybody in this place finds their wholeness, their acceptance, their love, their value, their belonging, their meaning in you. You are so good. Your love for us is so good. Lord, if there's anybody here that does not know you personally, that has not received your love, the love of the gospel, I pray, God, that right here, right now, in this moment, they would just say, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I believe it. That they would believe the amazing one-way directional love towards them. That it would transform and change their hearts. That they would come into a place of beautiful freedom in you instead of the bondage of having to be God for ourselves and secure meaning for our own life. Thank you, God, that you forgave us and you justified us. Forgiveness says you may go and justification says you may come. And thank you that you did both for us in Jesus' name. Amen.